weekend. Last week, uh, we talked about how prayer is most effective in times of desperation. And this is really why I was captivated by the image of George Washington. I'm fascinated that, uh, that there's debate as to whether really he prayed that prayer uh, on, the, on the verge of defeat or not. And yet there are multiple eyewitnesses, even some saying he prayed like he never heard anybody pray before. Prayer comes in those times of desperation. The problem for us is that we may be desperate and not even realize it, and, and God have mercy on us. That's really where we spent our time last week. I would encourage you to, to listen to the teaching last week. I felt like God used it in a mighty way. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about those who come to a place of realizing and accepting the reality that we are in need. We are, are needy people, that we're desperate from God, for God. We're impoverished without him. And even if we should happen to come to a place of realizing how desperate we are, that we never forget it because our tendency is to forget. And you can study nations of the world that God has prospered that eventually we forget who got us there. And that ends ultimately to our demise. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Prayer is most effective in those desperate times. And so I, I just want to ask you, have you come to that place of realizing what it is? Of realizing that boy that whole, it's never going to be satisfied by the stuff of this world. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Yeah, and I could like go out there. He does not change like shifting shadows. And then listening to Evie Hill, the only thing that you can't do anything about is change. Change is inevitable. We see things changing in our culture, changes. Changes in our world, listen, God does not change like shifting shadows. We need to hear that in a day when we're uncertain about all the change. Okay, so now we're pressing on. We're in Luke chapter 11. And in verse 1 we read that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, just a couple of things right there. First off, notice Jesus was praying. Can I just say, if Jesus needed to pray, <laughs> then that should send a clear message to us. Huh? He, he was praying. Jesus prayed. If Jesus needed to pray, how we need to pray. He was praying in a certain place. This morning, I'm going to talk to you, as God allows me, about when to pray. And next week, we're going to come back to this this, this word that he was praying in a certain place. And we're going to talk about where to pray. So Jesus was praying in a certain place. And, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray. The, the assumption here is that someone is going to pray. The, the disciples wouldn't have even asked Jesus the question if they weren't trying to figure it out, how to pray. They want to pray more effective. So I, I just want to ask you, and I'm going to ask you several times this morning, do you pray? Do you pray? And if so, when do you pray? Do you pray? And when do you pray? This turns out to be a very significant question to me personally. 
because sometime around the age of 14, in, in my adolescence, uh, my mom came into my room when I was lying in bed, and uh, she simply asked me, Michael, do you pray? <laughs> now, now, just a side note to all this, moms and dads have a huge opportunity to speak ramos, to speak uh, timely words into the life of their children. Uh, those timely words can only come out of a deep love and urgency toward prayer, uh, toward, toward your children. So it's become uh, one of Michael's rules for life. You've heard me say it, but I'll keep saying it. God gave us children to teach us how to pray. <laughs> yes, God gave us children to teach us how to pray. And if you want to talk about prayer being most effective in times of desperation, the reality is if you can't see your own desperation, your kids will put you in a place of being desperate for them. And, 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 and the truth is you can allow that to stir anger and frustration in your spirit as you deny the reality that those innocent ones have a sinful nature at work in them. I mean, you can try to manipulate, you can, you can try to control them, or you can get on your knees and you can give thanks to God Almighty that he's still working and you can surrender your children to him. Have you surrendered your children to him? Are you still holding on for the fight? That's the basis of tension. You've got to hand them over. You've got, to, you've got to sacrifice them. You've got to give them to God. But then the greater question becomes, what about you? Have you handed yourself over to God? Start there. Because if you haven't surrendered yourself to God, then there's still that fight in you. There's still that tension in you. Because you are refusing in pride, in self-centeredness, in your own glory, to, to not recognize the reality that you desperately need him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. <laughs> a little boy was praying beside his bed last night, and he said, Dear Mommy, or Dear God, <laughs> Dear God, gotta get my characters right. <laughs> dear Lord, bless Mommy, bless Daddy, bless Johnny, bless Susie. Uh, please give us a good night's rest so we'll be ready for a, for a great day tomorrow. And then he shouted, and give me a bicycle for my birthday. So I said, shh, you're going to wake Grandma up. You don't have to shout. God can hear you. To which the little boy said, I know God can hear me. The problem is Grandma can't hear very well, and she's the one with all the money. <laughs> Uh, that's not my story, but my story is one night I'm lying in bed and my mom comes into my room. I have to say, it was pretty awkward. I could tell she had an agenda and she asked me a timely question. Michael, do you pray? It was an important question. It was a significant moment, but honestly it caught me off guard. I needed to somehow dodge this silver bullet and hurry up and move past it to something else. But I'm convinced, I'm convinced that my mom was beginning to see some changes in my behavior that were concerning her. <laughs> Frankly, I was entering into 
the idiot years. <laughs> you know, the idiot years, those years when you don't have a clue, but you sure know what everybody else ought to be doing. Yeah, that was me. I'll forever love my buddy Pete, whom I credit for my coming to faith, because one day when I had a chance to be with him, I said, Pete, I'm so sorry. I was such an idiot back then. And to hear this guy that I greatly respect say, Mikey, we were all idiots back then. <laughs> that brought healing to, to my soul. But bless her heart, she was seeing a problem. She didn't know how to address it, and the best she could do is say, Michael, do you pray? I needed an answer right there. I mean, the obvious thing for a 14-year-old to do is to give her the answer she wants to hear. Yes, Mom, I pray, but I must not have been very convincing because she decided to take it a step further. You really should pray. In fact, I would encourage you to say the Our Father each night when you lay your head on the pillow to go to sleep. Now, you might not know the words Our Father. For most of us, we best know this prayer as, as being the Lord's Prayer. But in my faith background, we typically had to memorize the Our Father and another prayer in order to prepare for our first Holy Communion, which was to be experienced somewhere around the second grade. It was a rite of passage so that when we entered Mass, we could face the priest and, and receive what was referred to as the Holy Eucharist. And, and that prayer is the prayer that Jesus is just about to pray right here when he asks that question, or when, he, when he's asked that question, teach us how to pray. And it sets us up with Jesus saying, when you pray. I saw a Barna Research Group, they said that uh, only 33, get this, 33%, only 33% of Americans attend any church in a given year. Isn't that fascinating? And that's old statistics, but 81% claim that they pray. So how do they pray? I mean, the disciples needed to ask Jesus, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. How did, how did we pray? I mean, I said prayer is best in times of urgency, but are we just praying out of the desire of the moment or out of our flesh because in that case prayer is going to only be frustrating because our purpose in prayer isn't to take the magic lamp and, and rub it so that a genie pops out and we get to you know ask for three different things in fact i've got mine all figured out if a genie ever popped out a bottle and said you have three wishes my first wish would be i want unlimited wishes <laughs> You're not laughing with me because <laughs> you're like a creature thinking through rubbing a genie lamp. But that's the way we treat God, really. And this is why we need to come together because we need to learn. And I direct you to the Lord's Prayer as some foundation for fundamentals of kingdom praying. But starting sometime after that night, Michael Descoli began a ritual of saying the Our Father each night before he laid down his head at night to go to bed. Honestly, it didn't mean a whole lot to me. Uh, the only reason I did it is because my mom suggested it would be a good idea, and so I kind of took it on. In fact, I got to the point where I could say the Lord's Prayer in one sentence without taking a breath. <laughs> 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be thine. And the kingdom come, and the glory be my tongue doesn't keep up on my brain. Yeah, uh, although I think those closest to me would say that uh, my, <laughs> my tongue needs to slow down and let the brain catch up. <laughs> but I'm convinced that, that today as a result of my mom's prayer and the prayers of others and as a result of, of quoting that much scripture each night, that God was preparing me for the day that he would fill me with his Holy Spirit and allow his word to come alive in my soul. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am, am in no way suggesting that we begin to pray prayers such as the Lord's Prayer in a, in a ritualistic fashion. But thinking about God as being my Father and me being his Son, and thinking about the reality that his kingdom is really coming and that he is the supplier of all things and that he's the forgiver and he's he's the deliverer it was somehow getting into my inner man and i wasn't even realizing it but when the day came when god filled me with his holy spirit the word began to come alive and all of a sudden it started making sense so Jesus said, when you pray. And so, like my mom asked me on that night, I'm asking you today, because it just might be a rainbow. It just might be a timely word, fairly spoken for someone. Do you pray? If so, when you pray. My mom said, at least say the Our Father when you lay your head down to go to sleep at night. I would call that a scheduled prayer. Scheduled prayer, you know, it's a specific time that's set aside for the purpose of coming before the Father. My challenge to you would be a little different than what my mom challenged me to. I would first off challenge you in the matter of scheduled prayers to consider morning prayers. In fact, uh, you know, that, that, that may not be the best time for you to spend significant time in prayer. I really appreciate that and understand that. But I would just challenge you that when you wake up in the morning to let it be on your mind to say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for a good night's rest. Thank you for the day you've put in front of me today. And I just want to commit myself and my family and this day into your hands. And, and I say do that in the morning. What I've discovered is if I'll lay my head down at night and, and speak um, silently, of course, but you can say it out loud as long as your spouse isn't trying to sleep, you know. And just giving thanks and praise to the Lord as you fall asleep is a glorious thing. And if you fall asleep giving thanks to the Lord, you're apt to wake up giving thanks to the Lord as well. But I'm convinced that if we will take time in the morning to give glory to God, that we're more apt to walk with him throughout the day. But if we fail to address him in the morning, what we'll do is we'll find ourselves being pushed through the day without ever taking time to pause in his presence. And we need his presence because there's peace and there's strength in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Another good time 
to pray, for scheduled prayers, mealtime prayers. Oh, I'm so grateful every time I'm watching a film and I see a family take hands and pray together. It blows me away where this will happen. It's good to join hands with the people you love, bow your heads, and give thanks. So much of the stuff in our conversations tends toward griping and complaining. It's good to give thanks. So much uncertainty in the world. It's good to pause and remember where all of these blessings come from. So mealtime prayers, morning prayers, mealtime prayers. I would also challenge you to regular meet with time, with God times. These are extended times just for you and him, for you to sit in his presence, for you to allow him to speak into your life, and for you to speak back to him. In fact, I would take you right back to the Lord's Prayer and challenge you to learn the Lord's Prayer as kingdom fundamentals of prayer in order that you might be most effective in your prayer life. Well, this morning we were talking about all the frustrations we feel about prayer because it just seems like they're all hitting a tin ceiling and, and God isn't responding. And, and there's a degree of, of intensity to where we need to learn to pray, to punch through because we live in this dark world. Yes, yes, yes. But we also need to realize is that much of the stuff we're asking for has nothing to do with God's plan for us, except that the stuff that we're praying for largely is a matter of not God changing something for you, but God changing you for something. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, take relationships, for example. You pray your way into a relationship and end up in a real mess. But for any of us, as messed up and quirky as we are, to enter into a relationship together is ludicrous apart from the Spirit of God. So God changed me and prepared me for the kind of relationship that you, that you created, created me for. <laughs> yeah, that's just a little side note. Nowhere here can be found. But we were talking about that this morning. So scheduled prayers. But now let me talk to you about uh, spontaneous prayers. First Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. We tend to read that and think that it means pray every second of every day. Can I just say impossible? Okay, and unless we have an attitude of gratitude, this is not what this is talking about. It's actually saying pray and don't stop praying. In fact, I am in my mind building a series off of Luke 18 where Jesus is about to teach a parable and, he's, and the parable starts with the words that Jesus taught the disciples this parable so that they would know that they should always pray and never give up praying. Yeah, fascinating. In fact, when he ends the parable, his last words are, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? on the earth. And, and so this is about pray and don't stop praying because God is faithful. Praying doesn't always have to be scheduled. There may be those moments through the day that you just want to bless God or give thanks to God. Go with it. <laughs> there may be those times in, in the day when a need comes across your mind. Pray it. 
pray it. I, I so appreciate it. And this was new to me coming into the faith, but experiencing those believers who, when someone comes to them with a concern, they'll stop and pray for that person right then and there. You know, maybe asking permission first. Can we pray right now? Or, or watching someone on the telephone and they become aware of a real need concerning the person they're talking to. And right there on the phone, they will say a prayer. Prayers on the phone work. They really do. God takes those too. I mean, that's a whole lot better than telling someone I'll pray for you and then not praying for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so as you develop your prayer life, God's going to help you in this matter of spontaneous prayer. When I got word that my brother had been killed in a car accident, uh, it was a devastating time in, in my life. I think it's been uh, just over three years now. And I had to go by Our Lady of the Mount Catholic Church for something. I don't remember what. But as I got out of my car, there in the parking lot was a Roman Catholic couple whom I greatly respect. And, and we greatly love each other. And, and when they saw me, the first words out of their mouth were those common words that we all speak to each other. How are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, honestly, I just got word that my brother was killed in a car accident. I couldn't believe it. Immediately, they let out a sorrowful response, almost a groan. And they said, can we pray for you right now? And they huddled me in. And they prayed like the best Protestants I'd ever heard. <laughs> I didn't know Catholics could pray like that. No, but it was a good lesson for me. And so here I am, I'm asking you, do you pray? If so, when do you pray? You really should pray. There's value in corporate prayer and coming together, but right now I want to direct you to Hebrews chapter 10. There's three phrases there that start with the words, let us, let us. And it's interesting, and I must point out, that each of the three let us expressions uh, progress with these common three words, faith, hope, and love. Okay, the first is built on faith, the second is hope, and, and the third is love. Now, you may recall um, three weeks back or so, I was teaching out of 2 Peter chapter 1, and I pointed out the second progression right there, and then I pointed you to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, where the most famous, most best-known um, version of this appears, where it tells us that only three things are going to remain after everything is gone, everything else is gone, faith hope, and love. And friends, this is the progression of our salvation. It begins with faith, and it always has to end with love. Love, ultimately, is the only one that will validate to a watching world the faith and hope that we proclaim. Let them see it by their love. So now, let's look at these. And uh, the first one's in verse 22. This is Hebrews 10, where it says, let us draw near to God. If you read this in context, what you'll discover is that it's literally saying, let us come into the most holy place, the holiest of holy place. This would have been unheard of in its day. It would have been unheard of because only one person was allowed to come into the holiest of holy place, and only once a year, and only after he had made proper atonement for his own sins, 
by sacrificing a lamb. In fact, it was so concerning that when he went into this most holy place, this high priest, he had to wear bells around the hem of his garment. He had a rope tied around his waist that extended outside the curtain when he went in. What was with that? Well, assuming he was properly prepared to go into the presence of God, he'd walk in, the bells would be ringing, he'd keep moving to let the attendants know he's still alive and that the holiness of God hadn't struck him dead. But if the bells stopped, I'm not going in to get him. He's got a rope tied around his waist, and you can pull him out. But right here, what we're seeing is that through the finished work of Christ, you and I are invited into the very presence of God, if we'll come with sincere hearts, in full assurance of our faith, and acceptance of a cleansing that only Jesus can bring. God says to you and me, come in with complete confidence. You don't have to be afraid of being struck dead because through Jesus and through your repentance, a change of heart and attitude towards yourself and toward God, you are now granted into this place of relationship with God where real life begins. So God says, come on in. Come on in with confidence. The second let us is let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he was faithful, he was, he was promised, is faithful. Well, well, the believers that this was written to, and in the day it was written, they were facing great persecution, they were facing torture, they were facing imprisonment, they were even facing death, unless they would deny their faith. That's, that's who he's talking to, he's saying, hold on to hope. Well, have you noticed, we live in a day when the faith that we profess is being deplored like we can't imagine. In fact, people are walking away from the faith. Praise God, there are pockets of revivals that are happening where many, many are coming to the Lord, but you can see this movement that all of a sudden, Christianity is becoming the bad. So Satan, in his final effort before the coming of Jesus, is twisting things around so that what is good is bad, and what's bad is, is good. And we're told in the, in the midst of that to hold on to hope with everything we've got because God is faithful. He's coming, and he will set, set things right. Yeah, keep that word. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope, hold on to hope. We'll always trust God and hold on to hope. So we have faith and we have hope. This third one is interesting. Uh, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, notice it's capitalized, as you see the day, whenever you see it capitalized that, like that, you need to know it's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of promise when God returns to set things straight. We could be, we could sit here on the earth arguing about God's plan all night or all day, but the day is coming and God will set things straight. Why do we do church? Well, right here, we need to understand scripture and that the primary way we truly prove our faith in God is by his love, 
is by our love for his people. Last night I went to the park and uh, ignored the signs, Bear Lake Parking Full. How many locals ignore the signs, Bear Lake Parking Full? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was so glad to be greeted by the attendant as he said, you guys are so fortunate. All these places just opened up. And we were like, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. But then he knew who I was and he said, this is my church. My church is out here in the mountains. Yeah, okay, so how does that show love for God's people? In fact, just a day or two on either side of that, someone said to me, I have faith, and that's a common expression in our day. I have faith, but then they said, I just do my own thing. Well, how does that show love for God's people? One of the miracles of God is relationships. We talked about that a moment ago. And one of the miracles of God is unity in the body. But you know how unity, what unity is all about. I mean, it's a triangle. I mean, here you are over here. Here am I over here. And there's God up there. And the closer we draw to God, the closer we come to each other. It's a manifest witness, a testimony that God is indeed working. But part of our love for each other is that we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So last week, when we talked about this idea that we may be desperate and not always realize it, we talked about Jesus is knocking. That's the cure for our desperation. Jesus is knocking. He wants to come in and make a difference in our lives and how we do things as a church. But are we still so stubborn and so arrogant that we think we don't need a thing? So that was Jesus knocking. And what I want you to see today is brother knocking. Brother knocking because we are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And when you see that word, yeah, you're not misunderstanding it. It's, it's the image of a rider on a horse with spurs on his boots, gently nudging that horse in the direction that he should go. Do you know last week, Valerie's brother won second place in world championships in, in Texas for, uh, for uh, what do we call that? Bridalist cattle sorting. Yes. Bridalist. That means nothing in hand. Yeah. How does he do it? Gently, with the movements of his body, he can direct the horse to steer those calves in the direction they need to go. Second place. First time in world championships. Second place. That's pretty cool. That's her heritage and her background. But this is why... We at Summit encourage weekend gatherings like this where we come together for corporate worship and, and teaching, but we also encourage that we gather in life groups throughout, throughout the week. And so it blesses my 36 people on Monday night, 38 people on Tuesday night, who knows how many throughout the week, believers coming together for fellowship, and part of that fellowship needs to be spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. So why am I talking about this now? Because my mom asked me the question, Michael, do you pray? It was transformational, and I never forgot it. My mother was a brother knocking. She was spurring me on toward love and good deeds. We need to see ourselves in fellowship being brothers knocking, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds with questions like, how's your prayer life? What does your prayer life look like? And so I'm asking you today, do you pray? 
When do you pray? You really should pray. Would you bow your head with me? Say this simple prayer. Father, what is it that you're wanting me to hear from this message today? And will you, in response to what he's saying to you, say yes to him? Consider that as we continue to talk.